Now back to Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Once a month, I get together with the former television news director for Channel 9, Jennifer Schulze, and the former Chicago Sun-Times and Tribune editor, Mark Jacob, and we talk about not just the news of the day, but how it is being reported, the good, the bad, and the ugly. As I told you at the beginning of the show today, one of the things that I found um, really upsetting was this open letter that's been written by at least 180 contributors to the New York Times calling them out on on the way they cover trans issues and pointing out the fact that they have been so negative so often that their articles are actually being cited in court cases being brought in various states that are trying to restrict or eliminate gender affirming care. Um, we have a lot to get to today, but because I started the show with that, uh, Jennifer and Mark, I'd like you guys uh, to weigh in on this. I've been, just as a matter of clearing the air, I have been complaining about the New York Times for quite a while now. They are, I think, the biggest purveyors of whataboutism that um, are around in the news media world today. But, you know, maybe that's just me. You know, maybe you guys think the New York Times is is doing it just exactly right. Okay, who wants to start on this? Jennifer, you want to take the reins? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm ready to go. <laughs> All you right. Know, I think anyone who anyone who's listened to Mark and me and you on this show and our little get-togethers knows that while I think we all do respect aspects of the New York Times, that we also have areas of concern, right? And, um, and this is one, and um, we've all seen it. Uh, they've been writing op-eds and news stories with an anti-trans lens for over a year. And I think it's uh, not a good thing. And I'm really glad that so many people, the last time I checked, 8,000 plus people had signed on to this letter that started this morning with about 1,600 people. Oh, it was 180 when I worked for the New York Times. Yeah. uh, Yes, excellent. um, Yeah. So um, it's a problem, but let's be honest. They have a lot of problems. They've still never done to anyone's knowledge, a look at their coverage of the Iraq war. I mean, so, and they still haven't said anything about, did they get all that, that news coverage in the 2016 election from the now arrested FBI agent? You know, there are a lot of big stories that the New York times has not, um, uh, delved into their coverage about, and my guess is this will be handled the same way. Mark, what do you think? Well, I, I think it's anyone who thinks that the New York Times is a liberal newspaper is not reading it. And, <laughs> and, it, and, and this is one of those things where, and I do read it, you know, because like, it's, it's very good at many things, but but it's definitely either center or right of center, I think. it's. I mean, it, and its takes on things tend to be, you know, very much... Um, you know, they just, they're really big on what about is, and they're really big about, on, you know, on, on treat, treating Republicans equal to Democrats, even when the Republicans are doing terrible things. And they also tend to, they do what, um, what, um, Jay Rosen, the NYU professor who's a terrific media critic calls the savvy style, which is they, they view politics as, as, uh, tactics. They don't view it as, you know, whether, whether how it affects regular people. They view it as, is it smart or not? Which is why they had, did a recent story about Ron DeSantis, where they were talking about him building his brand, you know, so, so they're covering fascism from a marketing perspective. And I, I just view that, I view that as ridiculous. I view that as, and what are they, some like a political spin industry publication, or are they a general interest publication that's supposed to be paying attention to what's happening in our country? 
I, I think they're pretty pretty bad that way. And just one thing about the trans thing is that you know you don't have to be pro transgenderism. You just have to be pro tolerance. You just have to be, have to let people be the best person they can be based on what they want to be. I mean, it's it's just not that hard. And I and I don't understand why people can't see it that way. And the New York but the New York Times wants to you know accept the whole wants to accept the culture war you know narrative that's been you know laid out for them by the right. There was a wonderful TikTok well, that unfortunately had way too much swearing for me to put on the air, but it was a woman basically saying, you know, um, she's probably younger than me, maybe older than, than you guys, but she was saying, you know what, old people? Uh, younger people look at gender and sexuality differently. They view it as a spectrum. And you know what? That's okay. And you don't have to get upset about that. You know, I mean, I'm cleaning this up tremendously. Um, but it just was like, you know, like, what do you care? Why do you care? You know, let people, you know, sort of like what you just said, Jennifer, you know, leave it alone. Let people do their own thing. Um it it just seems to me it's it's kind of the same mentality i think um that we see with the lack of abortion care it's that um it's like government as as big brother or or worse yet government informed by some sort of twisted christian nationalism jennifer i interrupted right. you go ahead right so so the, so the part well, that opposes big government is suddenly wants to ban drag shows I mean, it's just crazy, and, and clearly they're not the government. They're not the party that opposes big government. They're the party of big government. They they really want government climbing in your bedroom. They just do, and it's and it's alarming. I um, want to underline what Mark said. Two things, actually. The thing that Mark said about the fact that. Anybody who thinks that the New York Times is some left-leaning liberal news organization clearly does not read it and definitely doesn't read their opinion section. Oh. But the other thing is, I would argue for some time now, there is no real overwhelming left liberal media. I think on a good day, the media is center-right at best. And, and I think that we in the media and everybody else let Republican extremists frame it as a liberal media some 40 years ago, and they have repeated it every single day and will until they drop dead. And it has become just, it's the kind of thing that nobody even questions it anymore. Well, we've heard it so many times, it must be true. It is not. It is not true. The media, I mean, there might be some left publications out there, but they are few and far between and do not have the reach. Let's remind everybody, the biggest cable network in our country is Fox. Um, so when people talk about the mainstream media in a critical way as it's left, I just want to scream and say, you're kidding me. More eyeballs are watching extremist right-wing Fox cable than any other uh, broadcast media in the country. And um, I think it's all part of this. Republicans said this. They could keep saying it. And as you guys have heard me say a hundred times on our get-togethers, I think the Republicans and the extremists in their party are winning the media war. I think they won it a long time ago. I think they win it every day that the media is afraid to to speak truthfully. Like Mark said, who in the world writes a headline about Ron DeSantis's brand when he is banning books about Roberto Clemente? I'm <sighs> sorry. Liberal media? Huh. Yeah. <clears throat> we need to, <clears throat> excuse me, we need to take a quick break. Jennifer Schulze, Mark Jacob, and I are going to continue this discussion. If you would like to join the discussion, give us a call, 773-763-9278, 773-763-9278. We will be back with more after this. Podcasts of Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Just search WCPT 820. 
Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. Don't turn that dial. A dangerous mistake to make. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. I am joined by former Channel 9 News Director Jennifer Schulze, former Chicago Trib, and Sun-Times editor Mark Jacob. We get together once a month to, to talk about media and I don't know if you guys listened to the, it was the House, House Accountability and Oversight Committee hearing that took place last week. And it's one of those hearings that was uh, called by the new Republican leadership and uh, um, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, made a great statement. The the Republicans called in Twitter officials, and ostensibly it was, according to her, that they didn't get their way on a ruling and they wanted to hold Twitter to account so that next time anything they wanted to do on social media would be approved. And she ended uh, the beginning of her statement, her very, very passionate statement, by saying, if anybody thinks that social media is left-leaning, if anybody thinks that social media doesn't cater to the right, just the very fact of what happened at Twitter, because, you know, like, there was um, testimony that um, when Donald Trump violated their standards, instead of sanctioning him, they changed the standards to accommodate him. And we have this myth Maybe it's just promulgated by Fox, this myth that somehow the mainstream media is out to get the right, is unfair to the right, just doesn't give the right the same kind of treatment that they give the left. And it is completely and totally untrue and unprovable if you really look at the coverage. Um, I don't understand. Do you think it's because Fox is... As Jennifer said, the mainstream number one viewed uh, cable network, and they're promoting this idea, and people are just absorbing it. Jennifer, what do you think? Well, I think it's it's um, a political strategy, um, and it all is also a myth. But it's it it started as a political strategy, um, and everyone who's anybody in the party at any level. Um, talks about the media in this fashion under every circumstance. Um, now, they still say, yes, I'll come on, meet the press. But as we've talked about before on this show, um, even when they so go into the so-called mainstream media lion's den, they still rule that they still win. Because anytime you get, give an opportunity for someone to come on and say their bit, um, that's a win for them. And anytime they come on and argue with mainstream media, and I'm using air quotes here, um, that's a win for them too, because that's part of this political strategy. Tell everybody that the media is left. Tell everybody that the media is the other, isn't, doesn't like us. And I'll show you how serious this is for me. I'm Ted Cruz or I'm Rick Scott or I'm whoever, because I'm going to go toe to toe with them. And yes, they're going to call me out and fact check me, but I'm going to show you how strong I am. You know, I, I do get a sort of a kick, but I'm also aggravated every Sunday morning by the people who are like, oh, Chuck Todd really pushed back on that. Margaret Brennan really pushed back on that. Republicans want them to do that. That is part of the political strategy to create this myth that you were talking about or to further reinforce the myth. Um, and I, I don't know what we do about it. I guess you can continue to call it out, but, but um, it's kind of taken hold for quite a, a, a number of years now. And, um, I, I think it's a, a, a terrible thing for the media and the media because of it has also makes terrible decisions. Like we've talked about before, reporters don't want to have a swarm of right wingers come after them on Twitter, God forbid. So they go out of their way 
to not be confrontational, to, to fa- they don't fact check. A lot of them do what we've talked about before, stenography, journalism. And I think um, that's just helped the right. If, if, if we just understand that everything that the right wing does is intended to increase their money and power, we will we'll understand American politics in this country much better. Because they don't have sincere concerns that the news media is too far to the left. They're working the refs. They're trying to get the news media to, you know, to be intimidated and, as, as Jennifer pointed out, kind of pull their punches and not, and not be confrontational when they lie. And the, and the secondary thing, they're trying to isolate their own supporters. They're trying to get their, their own viewers to not believe anything but them. And if they can get them in that silo where, they, where they're not looking at a variety of news outlets, so they're just, you know, believing Fox News or Newsmax or OAN or whatever, then they've won. And so, so, so this whole thing is, it's, you know, where did it come from that, the, that uh, the right is complaining about the liberal news media? It came from the right wanting to increase its money and power by making people not believe journalism. That's, that's what I think it is. Well, that might be the motivation of the right, but what's the motivation at the mainstream media? We were just talking about the New York Times. What kind of discussions do you think are taking place behind the scenes there, if any? Jennifer, you want to go with that? I don't I don't think anybody's talking about it. I, you know, I, I just think they see what happens um, when people step out or, um, you know, there's a herd mentality, to be sure. And, um, you know, for years now, if somebody misbehaves, says something inappropriate or rude in a press briefing in the White House, just think back. I wish I had an example right at the tip of my tongue, but I don't. But just, you know, the t- afterwards, how people would say, why didn't anybody else in the room stand up and say something? Why did they let him do that? It happened yesterday. This reporter for Newsmax, again, major air quotes, because there are no reporters at Newsmax, and Newsmax is not news. It's just max extremism. Um, just blurted out to the press secretary, is Joe Biden woke? Um, that it's become, it's like performance art. It's mm-hmm. not, it, it, and I think r- if there are regular reporters, there's so many things happening that they don't, A, they're, we're, the places they work for are owned by wealthy Republicans in most cases, right? Or on their board. I mean, thinking of, you know, Mr. Malone, who sits on the board of CNN and is apparently leading, you know, or pressuring the changes there. Um, they're not going to stand up and say, God darn it, unless, you know, there has to be some sort of a movement. And I just don't see people are worried about job security. People do not, you know, the people who do stand up and say stuff, they get doxxed, they get threats, they get people, especially if they're women reporters, they get people showing up at their homes and threatening them. It's a really awful situation. And it's hard to find um, uh, brave truth tellers, I think. It shouldn't be so hard. I don't know why you went into journalism in the first place if you're going to let. But this is the journalism we have. This is the world that is. These are the people that are covering the news in this very complicated time. And I think it is not good for the country. Not at all. I think that the people have figured out that the journalists have figured out that the best way to get ahead in Washington, for example, is to, you know, is to take this real middle position where, you know, you give everyone their due, give everyone their say, and you move on. And you don't make any kind of value judgments about whether someone's telling the truth or not, or about, you know, or, or, or about what pol- the impact of policies actually is. And you just, you know, you just turn yourself into like, you know, you're the referee and they're, they're playing the game. And, and that's a safe way. And I think that, unfortunately, a lot of journalists are safe. And it's hard to stick your neck out. I mean, look at Jim Acosta when he, when he did, when he did, you know, aggressive good journalism during the Trump administration, they took away his credentials. He had to fight to get them back. And, and you know, and, and I'll bet that didn't make him any more popular in the executive suites of CNN. I'll, I'll bet it didn't. 
And it's really important for it to remember that when you talk about the liberal news media, yeah, most journalists, I would say, the journalist frontline journalists in the trenches are probably left of center. That's because, frankly, most college graduates are, are left of center. So it's, that's not a big shock. But when you look at who the owners of these media outlets, you would find they're right of center. Mm-hmm. Overwhelmingly. I mean, look at look at Elon Musk. Look at at CNN. Look at look at all these people who own. Look at all these hedge funds and who own local news outlets. Uh, I mean, look at Rupert Murdoch. I mean, it, journalism by and large in this country is controlled by right wingers. It is, and, and, and it's run by them. And the it idea, is. Oh, it's, it's the media is is liberal. It, 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 it's it's a myth that helps us, the people who don't want you to know the truth. We have a couple of callers who want to join and that the conversation. Comes back to my point. Go ahead, Jennifer. Finish. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Um, let's go to the phone lines. Lady B, uh, Rose from Chicago wants to join our discussion about media. Go ahead, Rose. Hey, John. Hey, I just wanted to point out that even um, something like PBS, which over the years, you know, people come to trust in their effort to appear. Um, neutral, they seem to give equal weight to a story about something that's alleged, even allegedly criminal that the right wing does to something very minimal that the Dems do. Like, obviously, the, the classified docs of Trump versus Biden, they don't even point out the clear differences. And it's just so annoying. It's like you, you think you're going get, to get the truth and, and you get nothing from them. You get, oh, both sides do it. Yeah. It's really frustrating, and it doesn't feel like you've gotten good information. Rose, thank you for that comment. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Jim is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Jim, you're on with me and Jennifer and Mark. How are you? The story that got me last Tuesday was uh, Trump's social account where he makes a veiled uh, threat and a veiled uh, accusation against uh, the governor of Florida that he was drinking with underage girls and Apparently, they fleshed it out where he was a teacher somewhere in Georgia. And a couple of girls came at, what is this old dude doing here? My point is, I don't think that the Santa's gotten in the mud with him right away, but I imagine he will over the next two years. He'll have to, because uh, Trump has no fear of uh, casting dispersions on any one of his, if it was his wife, you know, if it was threatening him. <laughs> yeah. But but all I have to say is I enjoy I really enjoy this hour, but I, it reminds me of a Cole Porter song. Anything goes. It seems like <laughs> that song should be played. Anyway, you guys have a great night and thank you. Thanks, thanks. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of writing about DeSantis, and clearly he is not responding to the goads that he's getting from Donald Trump just yet. But a lot of the conservative people that I'm reading say, you know, yeah, it's a great strategy for now, but if he really does want to be president, he can't do it forever and how things are going to change when that happens. Um, the perception seems to be that people are really frustrated, like Rose said, with in, with mainstream media, they're really they're really frustrated. And I think, Mark, it might have been you who said this in one of our earlier discussions. Rather than covering politics like a sporting event or um, a branding event, we should really be focusing on covering democracy. You know, just take the Dem and the R out of it. Just look at who's moving in a democratic direction and who is moving away from democracy. Now, having said that, set that up, we can't continue because we have to take a break for news. Um, when we come back, Jennifer Schulze, Mark Jacob and I are going to be joined for a bit by Phil Rosenthal. You know that name. He used to, well, he's done a lot of writing on a lot of different subjects, but spent a lot of time analyzing television for the Chicago Tribune. We are going to take a break and be back with more discussion right after this. This hour of Joan Esposito Live Local and Progressive is brought to you by Team Hochberg. If you want to buy a house or refinance a house, call 855-56-DAVID or visit 56david.com. Joan Esposito, Live Local and Progressive on WCPT 820. Once a month we get together to talk about how reporters are doing their job. Jennifer Schulze is the Channel 9 News Director. Mark Jacob was an editor for the Trib and the Sun-Times. 
And uh, for this next couple of segments, we have the guest that we love to talk to, Phil Rosenthal, who for 16 years wrote for the Chicago Tribune. Welcome, Phil. How are you? I'm I'm all right. You know, I'm as disturbed <laughs> as anybody else these days. But you know, overall, I'm all right. You know, I have to I have to tell you, apropos of nothing, um, I pulled up. Um, just some background on you and images for Phil Rosenthal, Chicago Tribune came up and the very first picture is Mark Gian Greco. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I guess uh, you guys, what, twins separated at birth? No, I, I, I don't think he'd appreciate uh, saying, oh, that uh, they look alike. So I'll, I'll go with that. I wouldn't mind. But um, no, I, we, we are not separated at birth. We were separated from the beginning, you know. <laughs> Mark and uh, Jennifer and I get together once a month. Yeah. We have been talking uh, about um, mainstream media. As um, you may have seen, Phil, there was an open letter uh, that was released, uh, an open letter to executives at the New York Times saying, you know, you guys have to you have to be better at your cover coverage of trans people that you're so anti-trans that you know your work is being cited in lawsuits trying to you know, rein in gender affirming care um you've been you've been a part of the mainstream media of the chicago tribune for 16 years how do you see the lay of the land right now phil well, the mainstream media in chicago going back to 1996 but but uh and and outside chicago for longer but i would say you know, here's the thing, and, and, and it gets lost in all this talk, but I heard you guys in the last half hour. And, you know, reporters may at some level be left-leaning vis-a-vis the broad spectrum. I mean, they're middle of the road by and large, but that cast them is, is somewhat left in some ways. But the, the organizations themselves are, are very much right-oriented. That you got to look at the ownership, you know. Uh-huh. You know, the, the truth is, as a reporter, and you talk about reporters not speaking up in certain situations and, and not asking certain questions, you can only be as brave as a and I, I have personal experience with this, you can only be as brave as a reporter as your bosses allow you to be. And, and, and to a certain level, people, it's just very hard to... You can, you can want to ask things, but you ultimately you get you get slapped down at some point. And if your bosses aren't there to, to back you up 110 percent, you 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 don't get the chance to do it again. So it's it's a very difficult thing. These are corporate owned, uh, sometimes owned by by uh, venture capitalists and this sort of thing. It's it's not journalism isn't necessarily seen as anything else but a product, and that's where you get into this branding stuff. It's 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 a What's changed in media, I think, in, in the last 20 years is that the compression of ownership with corporate ownership, you don't have independent voices, you don't have independent uh, ownership of, of a lot of these publications and, and news outlets that, that enable them to rise above the pressures of the marketplace. And the marketplace is, is again, it's a, it's a commercial realm, and, and it's not necessarily about journalistic standards. It's interesting that you say that, Phil, because while we were on the air, I got a text from a listener talking about the corporate media. You know, I think that's what you just described is the way a lot of people feel about it right now is it's not it's not a bunch of scrappy kids trying to bring you the truth. It's, um, you know, it's a big money making corporation. Um, Mark, you want to Phil kind of echoed what you said. Mark, you want to jump in there? Yeah, yeah, that's just the way to, to view it. I mean, it's. It, I mean, there's. I don't. I don't see any alternative view than the fact that that journalism is a business in this country, and that it's a business owned by and large by very rich people, and mostly very rich people who lean right. I mean, that's just. I think I just stated some facts. I mean, if anyone wants to dispute them, feel free. But I, I don't see how you can. And. Uh, and, and yes, and I, I just love that what Phil said. As far as you know, you can really uh, a reporter can only be as brave as that reporter's boss is, and that boss can only be as brave as their boss is. And 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 after a while, you know, you just keep start beating your head against the the wall, and you, you know you can't get this story published or 
or you're being complained about whenever you, you know, you, you ask hard questions of this politician. It's very hard. And that's why I really admire journalists who are tough and, and brave about that and do, you know, beat their head against the wall because it's important. But uh, there's uh, this consolidation of media in the hands of, you know, very powerful, very rich, very right-wing people. You should alarm everyone. I mean, you know, when you see, when you see I was watching MSNBC today, and, and you know, they, they've carried Nikki Haley's speech just about in full, which mm-hmm. is fine. I mean, I, I don't dispute that. I mean, she's running for president. It's okay with me. But then right away or like within a few minutes of that, they had, you know, John Bolton on. And and I, I said, oh my God, what am I watching? Am I watching Fox or am I watching MSNBC? And then MSNBC doesn't want to be. They seem to not want to be a left of center outlet. They, in a lot of ways, they just want to be, you know, center. And that's you know, I, that's okay. But I'm saying that there are very few choices for people who uh, have progressive viewpoints. Very few options for them for um, you know big news organizations that they can follow. It's a real problem. You know, it's um, <clears throat> it's interesting because um, we've talked about how, you know, there's a very conservative big investor um, who's now part of the CNN group, and they brought on Chris Licht, who was most recently executive producer for Stephen Colbert, um, to revamp CNN. And I, in the years I've done this show, I've always had an iPad open with CNN just in case there is some breaking news. And I have, it's, it's a, it's a huge change. They used to be, um, like MSNBC, they used to be 90% plus on politics and elected officials. And now, uh, it's, it's what CNN was when it started. When CNN started, you know, we had never gone live everywhere before. Ooh, it was great. We were in the courtroom. We were talking to the police, you know, but now everybody does that. Local news has been doing that for years. And CNN has seems to me to have gone back to that model where it's the murder of the week, the trial of the week, particularly if the victim was white and even better if it was a white woman. And, you know, now um, I would say it is maybe it feels to me like it's maybe maybe still 60 percent, you know, news and politics. But it is dropping at an alarming at an alarming rate. Um, and I don't think, you know, it is they may be revisiting their roots, but, you know, that's sort of like old news for everybody. Phil, I don't know. Do you pay attention to cable news? Have you? Who do you watch, and what do you what do you think of them? You know, I I kind of moved away from cable news. I, I I do look at things online. I'm not, you know, now that I don't have to do it for a living, I just find the the repetition of it to be sort of unwatchable. And I and and I do think it's it's less useful unless something is actually happening. Uh, you know, the other thing about cable news that I I, I I know this gets dragged out and it may or may not matter, but you know, it gets a lot of attention is focused on what cable news does. And and the people that watch cable news tend to be very mindful of it and, and, and influenced by it and, 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 you know, influence it in their own way. But you know, the audience, you take the biggest show in cable news and it's, it's uh, Tucker Carlson. He had an audience last week of about 3.5 million, which is a lot of people. But, but the, uh, the truth is, the nightly newscasts on the broadcast networks far exceed that. The least of them being CBS at, like, I don't know, close to 5 million viewers. Uh, ABC and NBC, by the time you add them all in, it's about a little less than 20 million viewers. That's a lot of, of, of audience, that, and, and maybe they're coming from the cable networks to some degree, but that's a, that, you know, nobody talks about what they're doing, and, and honestly, I'm not watching it much either anymore. So uh, maybe that is the reason is nobody cares that much, but in terms of reach, you, you really, it's hard to get around the fact they're, they're, they're drawing a big crowd, and nobody seems to, to pay too much attention to it. Jennifer, do you still watch cable news? Well, you know, I'm an unusual news consumer. (laughs) I have many sources of information because I don't, um, you know, you can't 
learn enough if you only have one or two or three or five. I I watch I do it all. Um, so I, I was curious about what Phil was saying, and I'm on Ad Week right now, looking and um, yeah, eight million people watched World News Tonight uh, in the last week of January. Eight million people, and he's right. It, those shows are still um, pulling it in. CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell's averaging five million total viewers. NBC. Um, is, oh, I can't find their total number. Oh, 7 million. 7 million people watching former Chicagoan Lester Holt um, every week. Um, the weeknight network newscast has not given up its, um, its power as a medium. And I would tell you uh, some local newscasts have not either. Um you don't, but Phil's exactly right. Whoever talks about that, we hear cable news, cable news, cable news, social media, social media. But the the week weeknight newscast is still um, the the leader when it comes to eyeballs. And I do what, think it's interesting video? that although Fox is the largest cable, it still. Um, you know, gets almost half of what uh, Nora O'Donnell is getting on the CBS Evening News. Well, why do you think that is? I mean, why why don't don't these nightly news shows, these more old fashioned half hour appointment TV kind of news shows, why don't they make more of an impact in the kind of the national conversation? Phil, do you have a do you have a sense? Well, I I, I, well, I, I think that people they're just not. I, my theory is they're not fashionable. They're not interesting. And when I was working in newspapers, you know, frankly, when they were on, I was busy. You know, whereas the cable news stuff is on in the newsrooms all the time. Uh, mm. But I, I think it's. I just think it's part of the conversation. I think that's thought of as sort of old. And, and maybe you know, it's a mix. So they aren't. They're not doing opinion. You know, they're not as. You know, if the opinions there is. It's it's woven into the fabric of the story in the in the way that the you know other other shows are. I just don't think I think it's something that people just don't pay attention to. I think people got used to the idea that that network TV news and network TV, for that matter, was dying, and yet it's a big. It still has for reach is tough to match. Jennifer, when you looked at that, did it give you any insight into demographics? Because I'm wondering if it is the. Uh it is if it is my generation who is still hanging on to television news. Well, oh yes, um, yeah, it is. Um, most of the viewers are over fifty five are fifty five or older for network television. Um, in fact, it's pretty dr- dramatic. For example, total viewers of ABC News the last week of Jan- or the week of February 6th were 8,412,000, but age 25 to 54 was 1,328,000. So some 7 million more people over 55 are watching. Boy, that is so interesting to me. But you know what? That's always been the case with television. Older people have always been the most loyal viewers of tele- of most television news. I mean, as long as I've worked in television, and that's been a very long time, it's always been the older audience that um, was the preeminent viewer. So um, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, honestly, I'm kind of surprised that a million people 25 to 54 were watching it because was when you read all the media criticism, you could come away with the idea that people are either watching cable or getting all their news from social media. But some of them are actually watching the good old fashioned nightly news. And and I just want to say, I I don't have the most recent demographic information on uh, networks, but Tucker Carlson's show is again, 3.5 million total viewers um, or average viewers. They did in the twenty-five to fifty-four demographic that that doesn't necessarily speak to TV news, but is the one that that advertisers most are interested in, uh, or are most interested in. They had a four hundred ninety thousand viewers last week in that demographic. Uh, while I don't have the most recent numbers for the uh, for the networks, I do have um, you know what they were doing for the last season, the twenty-one twenty-two season, and. 
for ABC, it was 1.4 or 1.5 million uh, viewers in the 25 to 54 demo. For NBC, it was 1.2 million in the 25 to 54 demo. And in and CBS, uh, more than 800,000. So again, the networks news in general skews old, you know. But again, when you're talking about the younger group that is watching, the networks are still beating the cable senseless. Guys, we need to take and a, those a numbers break. Don't include streaming, yeah, right. uh, or or other platforms. Um, we need to take a quick break. We are going to be back with Phil Rosenthal, Jennifer Schulze, Mark Jacob, and me right after this. Did you know you can text Joan at the same number you used to call us? 773-763-9278. Thanks to our texting sponsor, Camp Kupugani. Register today at multiculturalcamp.com. Text away, 773-763-9278. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is our monthly media discussion with former Trib and sometimes editor Mark Jacob, former Channel 9 News Director Jennifer Schulze, and we are joined for one more segment by former uh, Chicago Tribune writer Phil Rosenthal. I want to share with you guys uh, some of the texts that have been coming in. Um, this one, I'll put in a word for network news. Disclosure, I'm 70. Almost gave it up. But got bored with cable news and love Lester Holt. He does a great job. Also uh, got this one from Randy in Kentucky. 52% of Americans no longer have cable and have either put up an antenna or are cord cutters. You know, we used to read a lot, or at least I used to read a lot, uh, about cord cutters. Is that, I, I hate to sound like the old out of touch person I am, but is that still a thing? Is that, am I like too old to understand that mentality? Um, anybody, anybody got any insight yes, into that's that? that's a thing. Is it a thing? Yes, that's a thing. Yes, cable, cable is dying a slow death. It'll probably be here for a long time, but you know, anybody under 25 does not watch entertainment on a television, God forbid. And, um, if they do, it's a, one of those streaming kind of TVs that has, you know, certain apps on it and you, you click on the app. You know, you're not connected to, um, the cable. So you've cut the cord. Um, and the news organizations have responded to that growth in that side of the business by, um, creating these streaming news programs. And I've watched quite a few of them because I have one of those streaming TVs and they do a pretty good job of it. And, uh, but we don't have numbers on that that I'm aware of because I don't believe Nielsen has figured out how to, how to gauge, uh, streaming viewership. I could be wrong about that when it comes to news. But, uh, yes, Joan, cable is a thing becoming a thing of the past. Wow. I'm sorry to tell you that, but it is. Streaming is going to kill, uh, streaming is going to kill some cable networks. I mean, it's been, it's already posing a real threat to regional sports networks that carry the teams because these, these arrangements they made with the teams were based on the fact they got paid both by, by being carried by the cable networks and then by selling ads. Well, they're getting carried less and less because fewer and fewer people are subscribing to cable. The thing about streaming and cutting the cord is you're essentially still putting together the old groupings of state of channels that you got, or a lot of them, uh, as as streaming services. So, for example, if you don't have cable, you may still be streaming CNN. Uh, you may still be streaming uh, MSNBC and NBC uh, broadcast. You may you're, you're probably still streaming uh, some of these other things out there, uh, and maybe more. You know, maybe more channels than not, but. Um, it's it's an, it's a change in how people consume things. The, the truth is also with regard to cable, it may be down to I don't know what the number is. Your, your caller said your texter said fifty percent. It was never a hundred percent. It was always a, I don't think it got higher than eighty percent penetration on cable, but I may be wrong on that. It's um, so so you know the technology is changing. How people get it changes, but the platforms are what we're really talking about. I, um, I think another um, one that's been hurt by street cut cord cutting is ESPN, right, Phil? 
Hasn't ESPN really suffered from losing uh, cable subscribers? And Phil, what about Marquee Sports? With that that channel that was supposed to be all Cubs all the time. Is that you have to have cable to have that, right? Uh, that will, I think, uh, I don't know to what extent. No, because you can get it through, I think, YouTube TV, which is a streaming service. Uh, I may be wrong on that. One of the there is a way to get it through streaming services. I think that will increase over time. That's one of those regional sports networks I was talking about. Uh, with regard to ESPN, yeah, it has hurt them on one level. On the other hand, they sell Disney sells a ESPN Plus, so you can get that that's uh, a lot of it from them. So it, it, it's a little of this, a little of that. As I say, it is evolving. These channels will, I think, the strong ones will continue to exist. The ones where they gave away the channel and hopes that that would help them eventually build an audience, I think those ones are vulnerable. And, and when they ask for price increases, it becomes a lot testier because, frankly, um, the business overall is in peril. Interesting. Uh, Phil, thank you so much for being a brief part of our media discussion. It's always fun when you uh, join our little media club. I thank you for being here uh, as part of your uh, as part of your day today. We thank you. Uh, We are going to take a break now. And uh, when we come back, Jennifer Schulze, Mark Jacob and I are going to continue. We have a number of callers. They're stacking up like planes over O'Hare. We're going to try to get to all those calls when we come right back after this. Stay on top of the latest news in and around Chicago with Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT Willow Springs, is powered by ComEd. See how ComEd is preparing for a clean energy future at comed.com slash clean energy. Now back to Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. The lovely and talented former Trib and sometimes editor Mark Jacob and Channel 9 News Director Jennifer Schulze join me once a month and we do a big examination of the media. We have tons of callers who want to join the conversation. Let's go to Penny, who's calling from Lansing, Illinois. Hey, Penny, you're on with me and Jennifer and Mark. Go ahead. Hi, everybody. Um, I would like to encourage folks to listen to Edward Eisendraft on uh, Saturday afternoon at 1 p.m. He usually starts his show with a rant. Have you ever heard it? Uh, As a matter of fact, we have. Um, Those are barn burners, and he needs to publish them and syndicate them as a column. He does. He uh, He publishes them on Substack. Are you familiar with that? You go to Substack, Substack.com, and you can put in his name, and you can subscribe. He publishes at least one essay every week, and then that usually that essay is also how he often starts his show on Saturday. So it is, his writing is available. Well, that's good to know because, I mean, he, he just is so great with that. I mean... He says what I would say if I had a microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks. Thanks for that call and thanks for that observation. And I want the rest of the audience to know that we did not pay Penny for that... that uh, that little commercial comment about how wonderful Edwin Eisendrath is. He does a show every Saturday called The Big Picture. He writes uh, uh, at least one week. He writes an essay for Substack. You just put in his name and you can subscribe to his writing there. Uh, Penny, um, anything else you want to chat with before we uh, go on to the next caller? No, that's it for today. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Let's go to John, who is calling in from Chicago to join our conversation. John, it's me and Jennifer and Mark. Please go ahead. Uh, hello. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Oh, good. Yeah, I, I uh, wasn't sure if I was the right. There may be other John. John. No, you're the John we want to talk to right now. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you. I uh I just wanted to say that, first of all, I really appreciate uh, your program, Joan, and also uh, 
you know, the comments and input from Mark and Jennifer, because I, I can't agree more. I cannot agree more that, you know, media, I mean, I know it's because in part because, well, maybe most of the problem is that it's become so consolidated and, and, you know, corporately owned. And, uh, I really sympathize with reporters these days because, um, you know, investigative reporting is, is so critical to being able to even have a democracy. Um, and it, it's become so much more difficult. But I, I grew up in northeastern Ohio, and I've been in Chicago since the 80s. So, um, uh, But in my, in my traveling, I just remember there was very few radio stations you know, I'd usually have the radio on, and, you know, I'd usually look in for music, that kind of thing, but I kept getting Rush Limbaugh on, on several different stations, and <laughs> and it made me realize, and as I've thought about it uh, over the years, a lot of the rural areas are getting radio that is extremely right-wing, um, I would even say, you know, off the rails <laughs> mm-hmm. but, my, myself. But, um, uh, you know, and, and a lot of the people I grew up with um, have been very influenced by that. You know, I, I there were quite a few family farms and that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, that they, they, you know, you're out driving a tractor all day long, listening to the radio, you know kind of thing and and there it just seems to me like a lot of the radio stations uh apparently uh at least from listening you know to tom hartman he has talked about this a few times i believe um that they've been bought up years ago you know you know, you you make an interesting point, John, because that's something that I've talked about. I know that's something Edwin has talked about, is that yeah. that's one thing that the Republicans and conservatives who were wealthy sort of figured out early on, you know, get control of media. Every town has a conservative radio station, but there are yep. only about seven or eight stations like this one that are democratic, that are progressive in their mission. It is um, uh, it is something that you know we have puzzled over why the people who who have the money to be able to do these kinds of things sort of aren't fighting fire with fire. I mean, you know, you've got the Sinclair buying up hundreds of local television stations and inserting their conservative messages, but you don't really see you know a lot of that sort of thing on the other side of the aisle. Um, I know that that's something we've all talked about. Uh, Jennifer, weigh in on that for for us. Well, uh, I hate to be Debbie Downer, but again, I believe the right wing has won the media war over the last couple of decades, and in part um, by buying as much media as they can and talk radio um, just has made such a an impact on um, extremism and again it's a political strategy and um, thank God for places like CPT and I wish there were more of them you know I wish some of these rich Democrats would buy Fox Network you know and get we need more people who think that democracy and good journalism is important owning media properties that has not been in vogue for for folks like that and while like I said for decades Republicans are running around buying everything they could get their hands on Mm-hmm. Yep, I remember thinking as I ha- was forced to watch all those ads, that rich Democratic guy from Texas, Steyer, Tom Steyer, who decided, like, nobody knew him, out of the blue, he was going to run for president. And I remember thinking, what a complete ego trip, what a complete waste of all of your money. You have absolutely no chance of winning, and you're spending all this money, and if you really, really want to bring about some of the change you talk about, 
you know, you know, buy a radio station, buy a television station, buy a whole bunch of them. And I just I don't understand why there isn't more of that on the Democratic side. Um, Mark, you want to jump in here? Yeah, that's clearly a problem. But I think also a problem was that 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 right wing radio, you know, in the Limbaugh days was just it just Limbaugh was really revolutionary because he had because he had he was such an unabashed misogynist and racist and just I mean he didn't care he didn't care about offending people he he did the same thing Trump did which is before Trump that he made racists and women hater males proud and happy to be the way they were you know instead of I mean I, I feel like there was a general societal trend in this country 20 years ago that no you're not supposed to be a racist and you know you need to give women mm-hmm. rights and that was the overwhelming view of society, and Limbaugh created this, you know, this kind of clubhouse where people who didn't believe in that at all could be validated. And 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 here we see the results of it. You know, there's a lot of people, more people in this country who are, I think, that are overtly racist now than there might have been, you know, fifteen, twenty years ago. Overtly is is the the key word. Mm -hmm. Because now it's okay. It's not. um, There's not the same peer pressure to not espouse those views. Right, right, and that's and and another thing that I mean, Limbaugh would. I mean, I thought he was pretty disgusting with the feminazis and all that stuff. But he, but he did introduce humor into it, and he was and he was introduced uh, some sort of entertainment values, and so. I don't think that, and I hope that, and I think your show is interesting, and, 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 you know, you have a laugh every now and then, too. And it's kind of important to be entertaining and to be human, and, you know, and, and to not and, to, and not turn everything into some sort of, like, a school board meeting or, you know, op-ed session in a newspaper. I mean, we need to talk about the issues, but we need to talk about reality, too. And, and if we could get, you know, if, if we could grow... Uh, progressive radio network across the country that that would you know fight back against what the right wing has been doing the last few decades yeah uh, guys we need to take a break we are going to go back to the phone lines when we come right back after this need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics wcpt 820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming give us a like on facebook and a follow on both twitter and instagram wcpt 820 chicago's progressive talk where facts matter attention everyone don't turn that dial joan esposito live local and progressive returns right now on wcpt 820 it is our monthly media segment jennifer schulze from channel 9 news uh, formerly of channel 9 news mark jacob formerly of the sun sometimes in the trib uh, join me once a month and we talk about the media and we take your calls Let's go back to the phone lines. Steve is calling in from the Gold Coast. Hey, Steve, thanks for waiting. Yes, I wanted to raise a couple of points with regard to issues you've already discussed. And I I think part of this has to do with how we're defining conservative or liberal Democrat or Republican, because in terms of working in the media, certainly when you're talking about social issues, uh, the the industry is heavily dominated by people who are considered, say, liberal. But that's different than a lot of other things. So, in other words, I, mean, I, I can pretty much guess what Anderson Cooper thinks about issues involving trans people, the gay community, um, race relations, and so forth. But uh, what does he think about the top marginal tax rate, given his income? And what does he think about inheritance taxes and all of these other things? So, when we talk about you know liberal or conservative, what are you talking about? Because again, I think uh, as far as the left and the media are concerned, they pretty much won the culture wars on that on that front, but. They've lost in terms of the other things, the things that many people, especially those who are concerned about things like uh, wealth gap in this country, real income, uh, what's happening to the middle class. Those things are things that don't get discussed. And if you want a case study, I mean, the 1996 Telecommunications Act, guess what? Nobody covered that for a reason. Because why in heaven's name, if you're a personality or a producer, would you go to your boss and say, I want to cover this? What could you possibly get out of that except trouble in terms of your future in the industry? So, yeah, it's not so much that there's a conspiracy. It's just some things don't get covered because there's nothing to be gained from covering it. But there's a lot to be lost. And, and I do think that there, that there is an issue with regard to 
um, the extremes sort of defining our culture today because I agree that there's a lot more room to be, for instance, to be openly racist um, given what social media has, has, uh, has given us today. But on the other hand, there are people who will label you as racist because you want to have an honest discussion about affirmative action in terms of uh, university admissions. I, I disagree with people who want to do away with that, those policies, but I'm not ready to cancel them. Or, or to fire them or to somehow berate them because they believe that. And, and I think that that's, we need to discuss both sides of that. Somebody want, Jennifer, you want to jump in there? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> we've, given, we've given you a lot to talk about and think about. Oh, yes, yes. You know, I... I I don't want to be, like I said, Debbie Downer. Um, and I do think it's important when we can to build up um, media doing things right. And I think one example we see here in our fair city is all of the different outlets that are doing a bang up job covering the mayoral campaign and putting out voter guides and making information available in lots of different ways to lots of different people to find out about things. That is media doing a really important, good thing. Um, so I don't want to be always ragging on everyone. Um, that said, I know you had a forum. Please, no more mayoral forums. I do not. I, I, when, did, when did that become a thing? When did that become a thing? Did that happen four years ago? Did we have every single media entity in Chicago have a mayoral forum? Or is that new this year? And what is that all about? What do you guys think? Are there too many of them? Are they valuable? Are they... Somewhere in the middle, I don't know. I think yes to all that. There are too many of them and they are, they are valuable. Uh, but you're, you know, you're right. I think it's because we have, we have a great crop of candidates and, um, you know, the, Lori Lightfoot is fighting to keep her job. Other people are fighting to get their word, the word out. So I think that there's an appetite on the candidate's side to say yes to these. Because, you know, in the past, I mean, it was like, oh, if somebody announces they're having a, a big uh, forum, it's like the candidates don't want to do another one. So they say no to everybody else. But this time, I think everybody has something to gain from it. That's why I think they're multiplying Mr. Jacob, what do you think? Oh, I think that's clearly the case. Um, and and I, you know, I haven't done a complete survey of, of what's available in the news media, but sometimes I think that these forums or the or debates or I, I think you don't get really good answers, and you don't get you know you don't get to the heart of the issues. It seems sometimes there's a real danger that it's all style and no substance. And you know, I always liked it when news outlets would, you know, go through and find out what the candidates stood for on the issues. And and I used to do this for the Tribune, you know, and, and boil it down to two sentences. Here's what here's their stand on X. Here's their stand on, on Y. And turn it into like a you know, a spreadsheet in effect. And that way people can figure out, you know, who they uh who they might support. I I believe one news outlet is doing something like that where, you know, they try to gauge where you're at as a voter and what candidates might match you very well, which is, I think, ambitious and good. But I, 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 I'm just, I'm skeptical of the news forums. One thing I wanted to say about, about the last caller, and I, you know, which I thought was really interesting, was he is correct that, that few people are consistently liberal or consistently conservative, and sometimes the labels don't work that great. Uh, because, I mean, for me, for example, I'm very socially liberal and I just really for tolerance and letting people do what they, you know, what they want as long as they don't hurt other people and not, you know, not creating a lot of laws that restrict people's, uh, you know, individual rights. On the other hand, I'm not for like spending every cent we can finally find anywhere. And I, I and unlike the Republicans and the Democrats, I'm in favor of a balanced budget and I and think that we should. Now, I, my, my solution to that would be to to tax rich people more so that you could actually pay your bills. But that, but, but that's, I'm sort of conservative on economics. So, so I, I, he's, I think he made a really good point that, that, that people are not consistently all the same way. And sometimes the labels don't work. Okie dokie. By the way, um, one of the many things on our list of things to talk about today 
uh, brought a smile to my face. And uh, Mark, I think you sent this idea, <clears throat> the idea about cliches. You know, things like, you know, there was a producer, Anna Vosser, who I used to work with. And over her years in television news, she actually kept a list of things like this, an abundance of caution. You know, oh, that's a lot to unpack. And I wish I had copied that list of hers by the time I, I left Channel 5 because, you know, it, and it was great. It was a it was a great guide of what not to say. But it is so easy to fall back um, on those things, um, you know, and, and sometimes I think we feel it's safest, like we won't get into any trouble uh, if we use these phrases that are sort of time-tested. But again, they become meaningless over time. That's a lot to unpack. Jennifer, do you do you want to take it? Well, you know, um, my I have a love hate relationship with the the fact that breaking news has become a cliche. Um, you know, it doesn't mean anything now because it's labeled for everything. Um, yeah, you know. Look, I, people just need to take a breath and think before they write or they speak and maybe not repeat, you know, some of those um, catchphrases that are stuck in their brains. Um, but I don't know. That seems like a lot to ask because, boy, um, we we seem to be a cliche society. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, but breaking news. Oh, my God. Well, you know, I honestly, because I complain about CNN, I do want to give credit where credit is due. One of the first things Chris Lick changed when he took over running CNN, you know, because CNN literally every show started with this breaking news banner. And he, he was like, you know, if we overuse it, it becomes meaningless. And that, and he took, he took that away. And sometimes you'll see continuing story or something like that. But, but now when I see on CNN a breaking news banner, I actually make sure I turn up the sound because, because they're not using it all the time. Usually it actually is something, something new. And that's what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be, here's something new that just happened, and we're going to make you pay attention because we're going to give it this breaking news banner. But if you do it all the time, it's just worthless. Right. You diminish the coin of the realm. You, you know, and, you, and words mean less. You know, and the whole abundance of caution thing. I mean, is there any other kind of caution? I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean... It's, it's like, <laughs> why do you keep, and that's just, and, and that's just, a, it doesn't add any meaning or value. And it's like, and, and it seems like everyone's saying that these days. Another one that gets me is, uh, is, uh, in real time, you know, well, we're, we're, we're studying this in real time, or this is occurring in real time, <laughs> as opposed to what, as opposed to some, you know, fantasy world two centuries ago, what are you talking about? Why, why are you saying that? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's like, I mean, it just sounded good. It sounded like urgent. You know, a lot of it, I think, language like that is in, intended to create a sense of drama and urgency in the in news broadcasts. And, and I will say, though, some of that is by design. I think that people are more sensitive to this stuff than they used to be. But it used to be, I've worked in newsrooms before where managers and producers required language like that because their bosses wanted language like that for just the reason you're saying, Mark, that the, that everything was going to be urgent and people wouldn't tune, tune away if everything was urgent. Not realizing that over time it's just become, it becomes numb. Um, guys, thank you so much. We are out of time. The day like today goes so fast. Um, Jennifer Schulze, Mark Jacob, always appreciate your insights and your comments. It is always a pleasure to do these media segments with you. Thank you both for being here. Thanks. See you later. That is going to do it for me. Driving at home with Patty Vasquez is up next.